0: This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. All right, check this out. A man fell into a pit and he could not get himself out. Well, a subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down there. An objective person came along and said, you know, it's logical that someone would fall down there. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into a pit. A mathematician, he began calculating how he fell into the pit. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on how he got in the pit. A fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. IRS man came by, wanted to know if he was paying tax on his pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. (laughs) And a charismatic said, just confess that you're not in a pit. Optimist said, hey, could be worse. A pessimist says, you can count on it, things will get worse. But Jesus, everyone say Jesus. Jesus. Jesus seeing the man... Took him by the hand, say praise the, Lord. praise the Lord, and lifted him out of the pit, say hallelujah. Yeah. Hey, have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been in a pit? Jesus lifted you out. If so, raised your hand and say, Yes, it happened to me. Have you ever been down and Jesus picked you up? If so, raise your hand and say, Thank you, Lord. Amen. Now turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus loves me. (laughs) This morning, I'd like for us to consider the word unrelenting. Unrelenting. Unrelenting means undiminished in intensity or effort. It means unyielding, uncompromising, incapable of being changed or persuaded By arguments. In other words, to be unrelenting is to stay the course, never stop. What a wonderful description of God's love. His love is absolutely unrelenting. Nothing can hinder, nothing can diminish His loving pursuit of both sinners and saints. See, the Apostle Paul, he believed this. He became convinced that God would love him fervently through his highs and through his lows all the way to the end. And he said this. He said, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God That is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See he was declaring nothing can separate me from his love. No devil, no demon, no principality, no man, no angel. Nothing can stop God from loving me. Now I realize that many believers have read this. Maybe even heard it preached for years. And I'm always concerned that some may misunderstand And think that since God loves them, they have his permission to do whatever they want. And he'll overlook it. But that, friends, is an extreme position. And that is not what these verses say. Today, however, I want to address the opposite extreme. For you see, there are Christians who, when they fail when they fall short, when they sin, they begin to doubt God's love. And as a result, when something bad happens in their life, they think it's God punishing them. They sometimes end up assuming that he is responsible for every trouble and every trial, every sickness, and every difficulty they have. And what these folks are actually saying is, hey, after all the times I've let God down, he must be so mad at me. I, I, I mean, how could he possibly still love me after the way I've disappointed him? They simply cannot accept that God's love is unrelenting. That God is continually pursuing them all the time no matter what their condition. I find it interesting that there are many Christians, even ministers, pastors, who talk a lot about God's love, and they freely offer it to others. But when the enemy comes in like a flood into their own lives, (laughs) they are swept away. They're devastated. Instead of trusting what the Bible says about God's love, you know what they do? They trust their feelings. And their feelings tell them there's just no way God will still accept them. And so they fall into a pit of despair because, well, surely he's given up on them. And this is really a critical matter. And so God has the Apostle Paul end his last letter to the Corinthians with a prayer that says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Now some of you may recognize this as a, this verse as a benediction uh, in, you know, in church where the pastor might conclude the, the service with it. Uh, but most people don't realize that this, Verse is more, more than a benediction. It literally is a summation of everything Paul has been teaching the Corinthians about God's love. And I believe if we're able to comprehend the three divine issues that Paul gives us in this one single verse, we will find it very difficult to ever doubt. God's unrelenting love for us. Does that sound good? Okay. The three issues are the grace of Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And the first one that Paul mentions is the grace of Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, just what is grace? Well, we we do know this about it. Whatever grace is, Paul says that it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So how do we reach a place where we can actually be taught by grace? And what is it that grace offers, anyway? Well, according to Paul... Grace teaches us to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Teaches us to live with self-control, right conduct, devotion to God. And if we look at 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, we can find the secret to Paul's statement about grace. Because it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich now please know Paul is not talking about material riches here he's talking about spiritual riches all through Paul's letters you find that he speaks of the riches of Christ's glory and the riches of wisdom and the riches of grace and of being rich in mercy and faith and good works So Paul is saying, everything you need to know about God's grace is found in the Lord's example. At his own expense, Jesus came to bless and edify and build up others. See, that is the grace of Christ. I mean, Jesus didn't push his divine weight around, pray blessings down upon himself, in order to gain power or recognition or acceptance. No, instead, Jesus came to build up the body, and he proved it by rejoicing whenever God would bless others. Isn't that right? When Christ walked on the earth, he wasn't trying to compete with anybody, like Alex is going to do at the game night. (laughs) You know, You know that Jesus must have heard his disciples bragging on him and glorifying his mighty deeds. You know that he had to hear that. But what did Jesus do? In all humility, he says to them, hey, you guys are going to outdo me. I'm telling you, you are going to perform greater works than all of mine. And then later when reports came back to him that his disciples were actually performing these very works, you know, casting out demons and healing people. He danced for joy. So what about us? Do we have this kind of grace? See, from what I've seen, not very many Christians truly rejoice when they see their brothers and sisters being blessed. Usually they're thinking only of themselves. And so Paul writes about this grace in Romans 12. And he says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. You see, this this kind of grace remains humble. This kind of grace even rejoices when other people are blessed. But when Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians... He saw very little of this kind of grace. You see, what Paul did find, that the Christians in Corinth were in competition with each other. The church was full of self-exalting, self-promoting, self-seeking men and women who were glorying in their spiritual gifts. They were trying to jockey for position and status. They They were even competing at the communion table. I mean the wealthy believers were coming in showing off their exotic foods well the poor had nothing to bring others were so proud that they thought nothing of taking other believers to court over disagreements so when Paul saw this he told his believers he said brothers i could not address you as spiritual But it's worldly. Mere infants in Christ. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Listen, we all know that babies only care about being pampered and having their own needs met. And since this was the way the Corinthian people were acting, Paul called them babies. Babies. See, the sad truth was, these people were soft on sin. Some of them were even involved in fornication and incest. So, when we think of these believers, I don't think holy is the word that comes to mind. Is it? No. But check out what happens. Check this out. In spite of all their carnality, God directed Paul to write to these people as the church in Corinth to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This can't be right, can it? Is this a mistake? Is God choosing to ignore the church's compromise? The answer is no. Never. God knew all about the condition of the Corinthians, and he was not overlooking their sin. God hates sin. And so should we. But here's what's happening. And don't miss this. Paul's grace filled greeting to these people is a picture of God's unrelenting love. Can you even imagine the amazement of the Corinthians as they heard Paul's letter read in the church? They knew their sinfulness. These were self centered believers looking out for only number one, and yet, Paul, writing under divine inspiration, addresses them as holy, addresses them as sanctified in Christ. Can you guess why? God was making his people feel secure. Let me just take a moment to explain this. Security of the believer. I think we all know that if God judged us according to our condition, we would be saved one minute and condemned the next. We would be converted five times a day and we'd backslide five times a day. Every honest Christian, or at least anyone that has any sense of self-awareness, has to admit that his or her condition, even at best, is one of struggle. Amen? Every one of us is still fighting, still needing to rely on God's mercy. And that's because we have weaknesses, we have frailties in our flesh. Thank God, He doesn't judge us according to our condition. Instead, he judges us by our position. You see, even though we're weak, even though we're sinful, we have given our hearts to Jesus. And by faith, the Father has seated us with Christ in heavenly places. That is our position. Therefore, when God looks at us, he doesn't see us according to our sinful condition, but he sees us according to our heavenly position in Christ. Now, don't misunderstand. When I say God secures his people in grace, listen, don't miss this. Go out of here and say something I don't want you to say. When I say God secures his people in grace, I am not Talking about a doctrine that allows believers to continue in ongoing sin. Although God will never stop loving you, that's true. The Bible makes it very clear that it's possible for any believer to turn away from God and reject His love. You can harden your heart so much that God's love. Cannot penetrate the walls that you've built. He'll still love you. But you won't be loved because you won't receive it. Are you tracking with me? He's loving. But you're not receiving it. So at the end result is you're not loved. However, however, however. Did I say that three times? Okay, good. If you sincerely want to please the Lord, and you're falling more and more in love with him every day, your position is secure. And that's the message that God wanted to give to the Corinthians. Listen, some of you may be in a Corinthian condition right now. If you are, listen, God sees your position being only in Christ. When he looked on the Corinthians, he knew they had no resources to change. He knew they didn't have any power in themselves to suddenly become godly. So he instructed Paul to address them as sanctified saints so they would know the security of their position in Christ. You may be, you may be, some of you struggling with a weakness. And if you are, please know that God will never be hindered in his love for you. If you'll listen, you will hear God calling out to you as holy and sanctified and accepted. So live up to your calling. I urge you, man, grab hold of the truth that Paul describes when he says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. What That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Everyone say grace. grace. Yes. Now next, Paul addresses the love of God. Grace of Christ, the love of God. As we just noted, he addressed the need for grace of Christ, but that was because of their failures. But in his second letter, Paul focuses on God's love. He knew that God's unrelenting love is the only power that's able to change anyone's heart. 1 Corinthians 13, sometimes called the love chapter And it gives us a powerful truth about God's unrelenting love. No doubt you've heard this passage many times, sometimes from pulpits, sometimes at weddings. You know what I'm getting ready to say? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no account of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. See, I think, listen, I think most of us believe this is the kind of love that God expects of us. And in a sense, I guess that's true. But the reality is no human being can live up to this definition of love. Because this passage is actually all about God's love. Verse 8 proves it. Love never fails. <laughs> well, folks, human love does fail, doesn't it? But here we have a love That's unconditional. A love, as we sang in our song, that never gives up, never runs out. This is a love that withstands every failure, every disappointment. This love doesn't gloat over the sins of God's children. On the contrary, this love grieves over them. This love resists all arguments that say we're too sinful, that say we're too unworthy of being loved. In short, this love is unrelenting, and it will never, never stop in its pursuit of the one being loved. I think we can all agree this can only be the love of Almighty God. And Paul himself had been taken over by this great love. But, you know, earlier in this first letter to the Corinthians, it sure doesn't sound like it. You may recall. You may recall reading in the scripture how Paul turned the man over to Satan himself. Why? For the destruction of the man's flesh. Wow. Doesn't that sound harsh? Turned the man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. But what was God's, excuse me, what was Paul's purpose when he said this? What was the purpose? Well, according to 1 Corinthians 5, 5, here's the purpose. It was so the man's soul might be saved. Do you know that God will sacrifice your physical time to save your soul? I'm not saying he wants to sacrifice your physical, but better to go to heaven with one eye than two eyes and go to hell. So, by the way, there's a lot of other instances where Paul sharply corrected, reproved, admonished people. But you know why he did it? He did it because he loved them with the love of the Lord. And guess what? These carnal Corinthians were actually motivated by his words. Later we read Paul saying to them, See what this godly sorrow has produced in you? Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed by, in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. So what Paul was saying is, you became disgusted by your sins, didn't you? And you cleaned yourselves up, and now look at you. Instead of being harmed by this tough love I gave you, you're now filled with zeal and godly fear. Listen, these Corinthians were changed. They were changed by the power of God's unrelenting love. The power of sin in their lives was broken, and self was swallowed up by godly sorrow. And how did the change come? By preaching God's love. And how was God's love preached? By telling the truth. I think it's important to notice that until Paul pointed out their sin, until Paul rebuked them for their sin, they were continuing on in their self-centered ways, even in the church. So truth had to be preached but preached in love. And let me clarify that speaking the truth in love never means softening the truth. I get a lot of reaction to that in my 40 some years of ministry. A lot of A lot of pushback on that. But you can't soften the truth. You can't water down the truth. Sin is sin always. And sin is bad always. There's no justification for it. And no sin will enter heaven. None. It amazes me how many people are sympathetic towards sin. They, they see it, I guess, as a series of, of understandable human flaws, you know. And they've never considered just how violent sin is. We need, to, we need to picture sin as an invasive cancer. We need to see sin as the enemy of life, a violation of God's order of creation. An unwelcome visitor. If we can understand sin as the ultimate contradiction of God's voice, although you may still suffer genuine pain, you will also become wise and you will be cleansed in the process. The truth remains God is our loving Father, and because He loves us, He wants us to be wise and clean. And blessed, even when we run away, even when we refuse to listen, what does he do? He continues chasing us with the truth. Why? Because his love is unrelenting. Now, of course, when we're sinning, (laughs) we don't want the truth, do we? No. The reason sinners don't really want Jesus is because Jesus is the truth that brings sin into the light. The reason a sinner can't find Jesus is the same reason a thief can't find a cop. He's not looking for him. And the reason a sinner hides from the truth is because the truth will expose sin, and then he's going to be forced to a decision. He's either going to have to forsake sin and live or embrace sin and die. Now, we should always try to be nice. But speaking the truth in love infers righteousness, not niceness. Speaking the truth in love simply means that our intent must be for the person's good, not for their harm. It must be for their protection, not for their destruction. God loves you so much that he will risk upsetting you. Even let your body be destroyed in order to save your eternal soul. God's unrelenting love. Okay, let's go back to our scripture in 2 Corinthians and read it together. Will you do this, put it up here. Let's all read together. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So Paul spoke of the grace of Jesus Christ Then he spoke of the love of God, and finally he focuses on the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, at first, these Corinthians, they knew nothing of this kind of fellowship. The church body was just overrun with individualism. Paul said of them, he says, one of you say I follow Paul, another say I follow Cephas, another says I follow Christ. And this individualism, it carried over even into the people's spiritual gifts. Uh, It talks about, in, in, in 1 Corinthians there, it talks about, People were coming to church only to edify themselves. One came with the gift of tongues. One came with a prophecy. Another came with a word of wisdom. And yet they were using their gifts to serve themselves. Everyone wanted to leave saying, hey, I gave a prophecy today. I spoke wonderfully in the spirit. And it was causing disorder. So Paul instructed them. He said, listen, learn to hold your peace. Shh. Let someone else speak. You should be seeking to edify the body, not yourself. Now, Paul was not saying that signs and wonders and miracles don't have their place. But listen, the most precious work of God's Spirit is to unify the body of Christ. He seeks to establish fellowship among God's people, by his unifying power. And in the closing benediction, Paul masterfully ties fellowship and unity to the two issues we've already talked about, the grace of Christ and the love of God. What he says in essence is, listen, he said grace and love will never be truly understood until they bring you together. The only way to truly measure Christ's Grace and God's love in your life is by observing your willingness to be in full unity, to be in oneness with the whole body of Christ. And what does it mean to have unity and oneness? Well, I tell you one thing it means it means you have to remove all jealousy, remove all competition. It means stop comparing yourself to someone else. It means everyone rejoices when a brother or sister is blessed. It means everyone is eager to give rather than take. For you see, church, this is the kind of fellowship that truly reveals Christ's grace and love. So, today's message really boils down to just one issue. Are we willing to be changed? Be honest. Ask yourself, do I really want the Holy Spirit to show me where I need to change? Listen, please believe me when I say, There's a purpose behind God's unrelenting love. And today's great truth is, the power of God's relenting love is able to solve all your problems. And how does he do it? By changing you. Oh, you may be a good person. You may be kind and charitable and forgiving and washed in the, in the blood of Christ. And I praise God for that. But God wants you to know that his love provides way more than forgiveness. You, oh, you can be forgiven and be a good person and still be governed and enslaved by your sin nature. We were all born With Adam's tendency to sin. In fact, it's our sin nature that's so easily provoked. It's our sin nature that gets jealous and lustful and angry and doesn't want to forgive. And it's the same sin nature in us that loves money. It's the same nature that sows seeds of destruction and finds it so hard to rejoice when other people are blessed. Tune in. If you're fighting against your sin nature, you are waging a losing battle. Your nature cannot be changed. That's big and it's deep, heavy, and it's true. Your nature will always be flesh. It will always resist the Holy Spirit. Our fleshly nature is beyond redemption. That's why it must be crucified. We must admit that it is impossible to please God on our own. We must accept that our flesh is just simply incapable of helping us. You can't fix it. We need a new nature. And Jesus offers to give his to us. See, we mustn't be seeking to be better. We must seek to become new. That's different. Not this one becoming better. No, no, that's got to die and we get a whole new one. Our old nature must pass away. It must die so that a totally new nature, the nature of Jesus Christ, can be born in us. God's love says to us, he says, listen, I want to assure your position in Christ, but you have to give up trying to change your fleshly nature. I'm willing to give you my son's nature, and I will If, everybody say, if, if you will do one simple thing believe. Have faith because this new nature comes by faith alone. See, the truth is, any believer can become just as much like Jesus as he or she wants to be. God's love has given us the power to be changed. The Bible says we've all been given a measure of faith, which means we all have the capacity to trust the Lord for an infusion of his nature. Will you stand and sing this prayer with me? Let's sing this prayer. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me, this is what I pray. Make it your heart. Change my heart, oh God, make it ever new. Change my heart, oh God, may I be like you. Lord, we do believe our Heavenly Father loves us unrelentingly. And so please, Jesus, give us your nature. We pray you will change us and use us to reach others in your name. Everybody said, Will you open your hands, Pastor Alex likes you have to do this, but just open your hands to receive a wonderful blessing. Here it is. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.